And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, Assyrian, ready to perish, was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And then the next. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. Now the first text, the gem text, explains the, the, the pit from which we were digged. And the second shows how we go out and share what he's done for us. And if you would like to learn how to share and how to get something to share, don't miss getting into a prayer partnership. In this particular church where I'm speaking now, tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, the men have, have stated that they're going to have a men's prayer group at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7, and they've asked me to come in and, and teach it so they'll get the format. My, I'm thrilled. I think that's a wonderful time to have a prayer group, don't you? While other people are snoring, we'll be in praying. Now, in the prayer group, you don't do all the praying for the hour. You spend most of the time in studying and witnessing. So there's nothing, don't get the impression that ABC prayer groups are, are drudgery. They're a delight, a fellowship, really. <clears throat> and we're to say to people, I was a Syrian, my father was a Syrian. <laughs> Now, maybe your father wasn't a Syrian. Maybe my father wasn't a Syrian, but the principle is there. The principle is, without the Lord, I was nothing, right? A Syrian didn't mean that the Syrians were nothing. It meant that they, were, they didn't know the Lord. And then the, chose, the Lord chose one and revealed himself to that one. And just a few. And then the Lord did such marvelous miracles. So we're to say the same thing in principle. I'm nothing. Like someone in our 6.30 question and answer service was telling how he stopped drinking. He said he was practically an alcoholic for many years. He smoked and he drank profusely. And he said, then I stopped. By God's grace, he said, by the grace of Jesus Christ, my friends, let none of us go around telling people what we have done. Let us let them know it's by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even the will to break a habit comes from God. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do. Philippians 2.13 The willpower to break any habit is God's gift to us. The doing of it is God's gift to us. So God wants us to be humble and sweet and wholesome and let men and women know that we weren't it. The Lord reached down with a big arm of love and he said, I'll take care of you. I'll be compassionate. I'll be long-suffering and I'll make you fit for my kingdom. You know, our favorite author states that the world is perishing for this simple testimony. 
to tell people how we've claimed God's promise. That's what it says. Tell them how we've, claimed, we've tested his promise and it's proven true. This is the testimony for which the world is perishing. Why is the world perishing for that kind of a testimony? Because they, they want to know whether somebody has experienced his love. Does God really love me? And when they hear us tell how God loved us, they'll say, well, if God could love you, he can love anybody. <laughs> right? That's the God we have. And we, we might just as well admit it. We're all just made of the dust of the earth, formed in the image of God, and we lost the image of God, and Jesus came to restore it. Isn't he wonderful? Now, we've been sharing with you, and this is the last of the series on Andy. Tomorrow begins something else that has thrilled my soul for years. It is the experience of individuals who are in great trouble, in shock, in the state of shock, practically, who have learned how to find perfect peace no matter what happens, no matter how great is the shock. That's beginning tomorrow night. But now with Andy, we've gotten Andy down through into college, and there he is receiving <laughs> miraculous answers. The oil has been stretched like it was in the days of Elisha. The gas in his tank was stretched as best as we could figure out and as best he could. And one miracle after another, and God wrought on a woman's heart, a dear precious lady who had no money in savings. And she signed a note to the college that she would pay his tuition month by month. My, what a wonderful savior. I had the privilege of meeting that lady after we wrote the book. The answer was created. You know what kind of a lady she was? She is just a humble, sweet, quiet child of God. And the Lord is delighted with that kind of a, a child of his. She wasn't at one of these big rabble-rousers or anything like that. She just loved the Lord with all her heart. She would be one of the most quiet members of the church, probably. And that reminds me of that beautiful statement in the book, The Desire of Ages. He who loves Christ the most will do the most good. Aren't you glad for that? It makes no difference what station in life we are, whether you're a teenager or whether you're a person 95 years old. He who loves Christ the most will do the most good. The tutelage, the training, all of which is good in itself, isn't the most important thing. The important thing is to know that my Redeemer liveth, and to know that he loves me with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3. With loving kindness he's drawn me, you see. As I sat in Pastor Andy's office in his study in Memphis, Tennessee, I had my recorder, and I was recording what has been placed in our book. The answer was created. And by the way, the answer is created. Answers to prayer come from our Creator. We went into it in the 6.30 question and answer service. As he sat there in his office, he told me of how he could have been in jail. He said, I was an arrogant man. He said, I was very proud 
He said, because somehow because of my personality, I had been able to do great things in the, in the commercial field. At a very young age, he was the leading purchaser of a large company, purchased as many as $100,000 worth in a, in a month, and that's when money was money. And he seemed to have the technique of being able to sway minds. So he said, I was, I was arrogant. I was proud. And he said, and, 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 and I enjoyed the sensuality of the world. I drank in of its follies until God caught up with me. And he said, I like to argue. And he said, I could win the argument. He said, I could win the argument on the, on the truth that the seventh day is the Sabbath, and I was breaking it right along. He said, I, I, I really was opinionated. But he said, the, the worst thing perhaps about me of all was, he said, I had a vicious temper. And he said, that temper could have landed me in jail. He said, one time I was just, just by the quick action of a bystander, saved the life of a man that I was coming at. He would have lost his life. And I could have been in jail. And he said to think that the Lord, instead of letting me go into jail, he's put me in the ministry. Doesn't it remind you of the Apostle Paul? This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am chief. Doesn't that tell us of a wonderful, long-suffering God? He takes that man that had been so brutal as a persecutor, and he brings him to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, and actually, in vision, takes him all the way to the third heaven. What a wonderful Savior. Oh, friends, you and I need to let men and women know that God is love. Oftentimes I say to young people, they say, I, 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 I'm not interested in God. I said, I'm so glad you aren't. And you know, some of the older people, they look at me. I said, I just hope you'll dump God. What? Yes. The God that you should dump never existed. And the sooner you can dump that God and put him out of your mind, the better. God is not looking down a pharisaical stern nose trying to find all the mistakes you've made. He's a God of tender love and compassion and pity and long-suffering, eager to come to the rescue of his unworthy children. That's God. Get rid of the other God. He never did exist. And those of us who are older, who have given our children and young people the impression that God is, is that kind of a God, we ought to say, God, forgive me. There are parents who will say to their children something like this. You should shape up so God can love you. Why, my friends, that's devilish. That statement is devilish. It plays right into the hands of the devil. God loves the man before he shapes up at all. Amen? While we were sinners and enemies, he died for us. Romans 5, 8, and 10. That's God. Let us let men and women know how good God is, how compassionate he is, how tender he has been to us, how forgiving. 
and how many answers to prayer. And if you don't have answers to prayer, oh, friends, get into one of these ABC prayer groups. They're so different from any of the others. You don't have, as I've said before, we don't pray long Magellan prayers in an ABC prayer group. You remember what a Magellan prayer is? How many remember what the Magellan prayer is? How many don't know yet what the Magellan prayer is? Will you lift your hand? All right. A Magellan prayer is when a person in a prayer group prays all around the world. And others are praying that he'll put into port somewhere. In ABC prayer groups, we don't do that. Neither do we give those long Magellan testimonies. We get up, speak up, and shut up. We pray up, and we get through. Whenever I find a person in a public service praying and praying and praying and praying, I pity him. I know he's not making contact. You know how I know he's making contact? Did you ever see an outlet, let's say like in this church, you see there's a, an electric outlet, and you see somebody trying to plug into this outlet. If it takes him five minutes to plug in, you know what? You know he hasn't made contact. When he once makes contact, there's power there. Pray as long as we want to it in our own personal closet. But in ABC prayer groups, they're delightful, they're enjoyable. Nobody makes fun of anybody. Nobody gossips about somebody else. There's no criticism of others. We're drawing together in Jesus, sharing his long-suffering, his kindness, as Andy did as I sat in his study. Now Andy was in college, and they announced that on a Friday night, Andy would share his experience in Jesus. It had been announced several weeks before, a, a repetition, an announcement. And the night that he stood up, there were hundreds of students and people from the community. And you know what Andy told them? He told them how good God was. <laughs> he told them how long-suffering the Lord had been to him. And as he brought his, his talk to a close, he made an appeal. He said, there are young people sitting here and others who have never known the Lord. He said, I'd like to have you give your heart to him and get acquainted with this great God of love who's been so kind to me. He said, there are others who are once Christians, but you've lost him. He said, you give your heart to the Lord and he'll see you through. He said, he may not give you hundreds of dollars. He may not give you a truck like he did when I needed or a car to go up to college or any of those outstanding things, but he'll stick by your side. He will not fail you. Oh, I like that. You may not find dramatic answers, but you'll find a quiet, wonderful guide that'll never let you go, never lead you astray. And then as he opened the altar call, the organ was singing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. And Jesus was calling. And Jesus is calling. And he said, if you'd like to make either a commitment for the first time or a recommitment in whatever area the Holy Spirit impresses you, the idea is that come to the altar.
there were ten young people who came to the altar to give their hearts to Jesus Christ. There were twenty. There were thirty. And finally there were forty who made the decision for Jesus Christ while hundreds of others were making a recommitment. As the service closed and people started moving out of the auditorium, one was heard to say to another, God certainly called that young man to the ministry. Do you agree? How many agree? But my friend, let's apply it to you and to me. God called him to the public ministry. There's not one person in this auditorium this evening but whom God is calling to be a witness. We'll say it again and again. Why do I say it so many times, my friends? Because I have found that the person who does not witness, I don't care how much he reads his Bible, I don't care how many offices in the church he may fill, unless he enters upon this simple witness, his life is empty. I remember many years ago, we're holding a series of meetings in Southern California. We're invited out to take lunch. And as we're there in the home, a young lady, perhaps in her late teens, she said, Pastor, I've learned something during this series that I never knew before. She said, at the beginning of this year, I decided I was going to take an hour with the Lord each morning. I guess she'd heard my wife and I say that, heard my wife and me say that we had done this for many years. I decided I would do it, she said. And she said, you know the amazing thing? The more I took an hour with the Lord in the morning, the more empty my life was. And she said, I said to myself, I'm becoming more critical. Here I'm taking this hour with the Lord and I'm becoming more critical, not less. And she said, I couldn't understand why it was till you came. And then the Holy Spirit speaking through you said, the reason is you're not letting his love flow out to others. You're not witnessing to others of his love. And if you don't let his love flow out to others, then somebody else's life will flow out. And I become critical. Now that I've made this other decision, I find something has happened in my life. Oh, friends, remember this. We don't have to scold to witness. We don't have to belittle to witness. We don't even have to give Bible studies to witness. I'm thinking of a girl by the name of Joy. Isn't that a nice name? Joy. We're holding a series of meetings up in, in the northern part of, of Oregon. And there was a, a young woman there that was reared a Christian in, in our church. She'd kind of gotten a little cold in the Lord, kind of lost it. And during that time, she gave her heart anew to the Lord. And she married a lawyer who had been an alcoholic, by the way. And together they said, they talked it over and they said, you know what we ought to do? Why don't we witness? Why don't we live a life of witnessing? And she said, Elder Coon, I didn't know how to witness anything to anybody. So she said, I, I, I cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, I want to make a deal with you. She said, if you will teach me how to witness, I will do it. But she said, Lord, I want to ask you to do one thing. Please don't embarrass me. Because 
if somebody asks me questions that I don't know anything about and I get embarrassed, I don't know what will happen. Please don't let this happen, Lord. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And now listen, friends. See what God can do about the person who loves Jesus the most. She said, and there I was, his secretary. She said, if, as a client would come in, before he met my husband, he would talk to me and I would make some notes. And then these notes would be given to my husband to save a lot of time of my husband. So in two or three minutes, he'd just glance, through, glance down through the notes and he would, he would be able to get right into the subject. And she said, people would come in, ladies who were, who were being divorced, all kinds of problems surrounding so many. And she said, all I knew to do, follow this, friend, all I knew to do, I couldn't say a word. She said, I could talk to them about the business, but I couldn't say a word about the, the Lord or anything. So she said, I finally decided I'd take a little slip of paper, and just as they were leaving, ready to go in to see my husband, I'd put these words on the little slip of paper. I shall be praying for you. She said, as those people read that little note, I began to get calls. Oh, Joy, thank you so much for remembering me in prayer. Friends, he who loves Christ the most will do the most good. If it's no more than to say, I'll be praying for what could be better? And she said, for months, as I recall now, for months, that's all I could do. Finally, she said, I was able to say, to say it, I'll be praying for you. Oh, thank you, Joy, thank you. And she said, then people would come to me. And she said, I took your book of promises, your little red book of promises. I opened my Bible, and every single promise in that book of promises, I underscored in my Bible. Every one. I was now getting acquainted with the Bible, so when somebody was in trouble, I could turn to one of the promises. And I could not really say, I'll be praying for you. Here's a promise. I didn't know much of anything about them, but I'd underscored them all, so I, I could almost open the Bible anywhere and find a promise. Here's a promise. And the Lord seemed to send his angel to help her to open just the right promise. She said, that was three years ago. She said, Elder Coombe, the Lord's been so good. She said, now, people come to me and people in great distress. She said, I've actually sat with people and shared promises to give them hope for three hours straight reading God's holy word. How about that? Not with the idea that she had to be technical in, in Daniel 2. It's wonderful study. I love it. I love every prophecy, every doctrine, as a pastor said the other night. They're important. But the thing that is the most important is to let that soul know that Jesus Christ is interested in them at their own conscious need. In three years, what a change. My brother, my friend, my sister, couldn't you at least write a little note to somebody and say, I'll be praying for you? And the wonderful thing about it is you don't have to preach at them. Preaching at them destroys the whole thing. It makes them feel belittled. What could be any sweeter? I'll be praying for you. And here's a promise. <laughs> a prayer and a promise to start with. And somebody's in trouble, great trouble. Maybe it's a relative. Instead of preaching at that relative, I'll be praying for you. And here's a promise that you may like. As we bow our heads together before we answer questions tonight,
my soul goes out to God in earnest petition. And my friends, I've had this burden for 50 years, that our dear people will enter upon the joy of meeting others at their conscious need, claiming the promise of the Holy Spirit, a little prayer, a little promise. They're potent, they're mighty, they're powerful under God. Shall we bow our heads? While our heads are bowed in prayer, if the Lord will teach you how, if, he, if you don't already know, and if you do know, if he'll continue to teach you, how many here this evening are impressed by the Holy Spirit with this? Yes, Brother Coon, I want, I would like to be this kind of a witness for Jesus. Would you lift your hands? Dear Lord, as our hands are raised away from self toward heaven, the only source of strength, but oh, the firm source, source you have said, I will be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. You've said only be strong and very courageous. And you've said, the meek I will teach in judgment. The meek I will teach my way. Lord, thank you for this dedication tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.